Today we're talking about um, the second part of this series, Swiping Right. Last week, uh, I don't know, I said some stuff last week that I think is much easier to say to a room full of people than it is one-on-one. Because I said things like, when you're dating, like, you should be realistic about who you're looking for. Because a lot of times, the people people look for aren't really in their league. And that's really hard to tell somebody one-on-one, but telling a room full of people, I don't know, it's a little bit easier, like be realistic. And so what we did this week is that we took a lot of those clips from last week's sermon, put them online, put them on social media and let people um, share them and stuff. There was tons of shares, a lot of good stuff happening. It really boosted my ego and, and probably was not good for, my, for me long-term, but uh, you know, the, the social media dopamine release was real for me this week. But there was also some, some, some not so great stuff, right? So a few comments really kind of discouraged me a little bit. Not in a super negative way, but like in a you didn't really get it kind of a way. Like there was this one girl uh, who posted or she, she commented on one of the shares on that clip where I said, be realistic about who you're looking for. You know, don't, don't, don't um, live in fantasy land, right? And so she said... Um, in her comment, she said, I refuse to settle for anything less than I deserve. And that's how I picture her saying it like that, but she's typing it, right? And she, you know, and then she posted this meme with her, with her little picture. It was a picture that said, shoot for the moon. Even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. And this was her dating philosophy. And I couldn't help but think to myself, this is not just bad dating advice. This is really bad just science advice, right? So like if you, if you know anything about how far stuff is from here, you would never tell your friend to do something like this, right? So uh, the moon, for example, if you shoot for it, is just 240,000 miles away. Cosmically speaking, a day trip. You know, it doesn't even take that long to get to the moon. 240,000 miles. The, the next Closest star. The closest star is the sun, which is 93 million miles from here. Which means if you shoot for the moon and miss, you're going to be drifting alone and aimless for 20 years through the cosmos. 20 years. And then when you get to the sun, you'll just burn up in a flaming ball, right? And then if you, if, you, if you make it past the sun, if the sun doesn't work out for you, then the next closest star is 25 trillion miles away, which would take you 137,000 years to get there. So the moral of the story, Facebook girl, if you're still listening, is this. In the world of dating, if you aim for the moon, and miss, you'll drift alone and aimless through the universe for at least 20 years, at which point you'll get burned, and then you'll drift more for 137,000 years, just you and your cats, probably. And I don't want that for you. I don't want that for you, Facebook girl. I don't want that for any of you. And, and I, I, I hope that this conversation can, can just get real about some of the misnomers around dating. Look, this is, somebody asked me, they were like, do you do these series just to have fun between like the real series, between like serious stuff? No, this is, this is as serious as it gets. This is real. 
Because, as I said last week, more than half of our congregation is not married. More than half of American adults are not married. Like, these questions about dating and singleness and loneliness, all this stuff is very real, very theological. This is deep, urgent stuff. And so we're talking about six different questions with these six sermons. Every week we'll dig into one more. And today's question is one that nobody ever wants to hear if you're in a relationship. Because if somebody says, can we just be friends, it means they're done with you. It means it's over. What gets me about this, about this question or this statement, let's just be friends, is whoever says, whoever has ever said, let's just be friends, never really wanted to be friends. It never actually <laughs> happens. It's just a way to break up. It's just a way to break up. That's all it is. It's, uh, it's one of the top three ways to break up. It's the second most popular way to break up with somebody. You know that? Right behind, it's not you, it's me. And right ahead of, little known fact, third most popular way to break up with somebody. So I just looked at your phone. <laughs> That's the third most popular way to break up with somebody. And I get number one and number three. Number two, I just don't get. First of all, nobody ever said, I want to just be friends, and then you actually were friends. Have you ever broken up with somebody with that line? How many of you have broken up with somebody using that line before? All right, thanks, Justin. It's you and me. There we go. Some honesty in the room. Okay. How many of you have ever been broken up with in this way before? Let's just be friends. All right, all right. Yeah, I'm, with, I'm in both camps, and I had my heart broken, third grade, first breakup. Kara Smith. Kara Smith broke up with me on the playground while I was playing with ants with a straw in the dirt. I remember it like it was yesterday. She said, I just think we should be friends. And I said, that sounds nice. Let's be friends. And then she never talked to me again. I, I friend requested her on Facebook like seven years ago, and she never even, she didn't want to be friends. She wanted to be Facebook friends, you know. And that's, that's what we do with that line. But what, what really gets under my skin about this, this question or this statement, let's just be friends, is it undermines the value of friendship. It says really what we think is that the pinnacle is romance. The pinnacle is sexual romance. It's that, you know, whatever falling in love looks like. And then if this doesn't work out, then you've still got this to fall back on. And so you've got romance, but if this doesn't happen, then friendship is the great consolation prize for adult relationships. This really bothers me. And I don't know how we got to this place where romance, this breathtaking romance, is the priority. Friendship is the consolation prize. Guys, properly understood, friendship is never a consolation prize. You should never put the word just in front of the word friends. You should never put the word just in front of friendship. Because friendship, properly understood, is so much more than that. And so I want to talk about that a little bit today, how friendship doesn't kill romance. Friendship isn't instead of romance. Friendship fuels romance. Um, through this series, we're doing some ground rules. I'm going to lay down ten ground rules for real romance. Last week we did two of them. Today i got two more for you. Number three is just that. Real romance begins with friendship. And number four... It's kind of a throwback to uh, the last time we talked about dating in a series we did right as the story was starting. Two years ago, beyond Christian Mingle, in the gym across the parking lot, all I talked about for seven weeks straight was how soulmates, the idea of a soulmate was 
was sold to you by Hollywood and Hallmark. This doesn't exist. It's not real. Soulmates are stupid. And I'm not going to talk about that again this time. So don't worry. If you're thinking, oh, God, he's going he's to start talking about soulmates again. I'm not. But number four, soulmates are made, not born. This is all I'm going to say about it, the whole series. If you're looking for your soulmate, he wasn't born for you. She wasn't born for you. You're not going to, the stars aren't going to align. And one day, like serendipity, you're going to find each other. Listen, soulmates are forged over time over years of choosing each other and no one else. And one day you wake up and you realize, we didn't used to be soulmates, but now we are, praise God. That's all I'm gonna say about it, all right? I'm gonna go back to the third ground rule. We're gonna spend the rest of our time today on that third ground rule. Real romance is born out of friendship. Friendship fuels romance. Now the reason I'm so passionate about this topic is because my heart, as a pastor, as a friend, my heart hurts because I've got so many friends struggling on the dating scene. And it makes them feel like they're less than they really are. And they don't like who they're becoming on the online dating and disposing of people left and right. They don't, they don't feel good about it and it breaks my heart because I love these people. I also really struggle with people who are married and trying to save their marriages, trying to bring their marriages back from the brink and rediscover whatever's been lost. That breaks my heart as a pastor. And you can call me naive if you want to, but I am utterly convinced that this talk about friendship today is the answer to both of those problems. It's a huge part of the key to solving both of those riddles. Singles on the dating scene, married people struggling in their marriages. I can't say enough about learning to emphasize friendship over feelings. Friendship over feelings. Guys, we have become so used and accustomed to prioritizing feelings. We think feelings are the utmost good. You follow your feelings wherever they take you. That's what we've been told from early in our lives. And love is a feeling, and, and romance is a feeling, and you just follow your feelings and whatever feels good. I want to tell you that, that friendship matters more than feelings. Somehow, uh, over the last couple of generations, we've decided collectively, we all, I'm included in this, all of us, we've all decided that none of us should be expected to spend our whole lives with somebody who's not exactly our type. We've decided that you should never be expected to spend your whole life with somebody who doesn't excite you physically. Somebody who doesn't just set your heart on fire and the butterflies fluttering around in your belly and the, the attraction, the sexual attraction, the chemistry, all of that stuff. We've been told that if they don't immediately appeal to you sexually, then you shouldn't consider them for marriage. I just want you to step back from that because we're all in this together, step back from that with me and just acknowledge how ridiculous an assertion that is and how new it is to the human experience. Do you realize that for 99.9% .9 of the human experience on earth, we made our decisions about marriage based on, you know, we've got to make babies or we're not gonna survive out here. Like, we've gotta, we've gotta continue the species, so let's, let's do this, you know what I'm saying? Like, now it's like, ah, oh, his butt's a little big for me, or like, you know, it's like all these weird decisions that we make that have no bearing on your lifelong happiness, and it's really ridiculous when you think about making a decision for your whole life. You're gonna decide to spend your whole life with this person 24-7 for decades based on the criteria for something you're gonna spend, on average, 20 minutes a week doing together. 20 to 30 on a good week, right? So 
That 20 to 30 minutes, really important. Don't get me wrong. But you're going to be together 24-7 forever. And you're going to base your decision on attraction? When you step back from it, it doesn't make sense. But, man, we've been so deeply immersed in the idolatry of appearance, the idolatry of attraction and sex, that we don't see any other way. We have to have a paradigm shift. And I hope that's what tonight brings for you. Now, if you are big into movies, like I am, I love movies, I love entertainment, Game of Thrones starts in like an hour or something, and I, it's all I can think about, honestly, I'm sorry, Jesus, but listen, winter's here. So anyway, um, any, oh, never mind, never mind. All right, so thank you, all right, one guy. So um, I love movies, I don't know if you love movies. Hollywood has a solution to this problem of attraction, and this solution is borne out in this um, trope that has been quite popular for the last generation or so. In romantic comedies, this trope where there's front girl, I call her front girl, she's usually nerdy, with frizzy hair, with glasses, nobody notices her, nobody likes her, nobody even knows that she exists. Front girl is in love with hot guy. And front girl and hot guy have grown up together their whole lives. But hot guy, although everyone watching this movie knows, hot guy needs front girl in his life. We all know he needs her. I mean, he's a mess without her. They're perfect together, but he's never really noticed her because she's front girl and he's hot guy. So here's Hollywood's solution. Instead of making hot guy a little less of a superficial jerk, they make front girl hot, like hot guy. So they take the glasses off and they comb her hair for the first time in her life, I guess. And suddenly, y'all see the movie The Duff? Anybody watch The Duff? The Duff was this, this weird, little, quirky nerd who I thought was kind of cute. I don't know. I, just, I, I liked her before more than after prom. But at prom, they put this dress on her, and they brushed her hair and makeup. And then hot guy's like, whoa, who's the new girl? And, and she's like, we've grown up together. We grew up across the street from each other. No, I've never met you before. Who are you? And finally, she has his attention because she's hot girl now. This is really just a nice way of saying that looks don't matter without forcing hot guy to spend any time with front girl. Like it's really shallow if you're really paying attention. And it's not always, sometimes it's the guy, it's front guy and hot girl. Occasionally, not as often, but it happens in movies. And this is um, Hollywood's response. This is what happened at the Duff. This is what happens in the Princess Diaries with uh, Anne Hathaway because Anne Hathaway, nerdy Anne Hathaway, so gross. Ugh, Anne Hathaway, yuck. And... And then they did it again two years later in the, the Devil Wears Prada. But instead of dressing up for a prince, she was dressing up for, uh, what's her name? Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep, coat-throwing boss lady. Do y'all watch movies? Anybody? All right. <laughs> let's keep going. <laughs> so uh, I'm not quite sure we understand um, how immersed we are in that culture. I'm not sure if anyone here is ready tonight really to receive or, or, or to internalize what's been on my heart this week. And I want to say this as clearly as I can. If you want to be happy, which I, I hope is all of us, if you want to be happy and you're single or married or anything in between, listen to me. In dating and in marriage, friendship matters infinitely more than feelings. Friendship matters infinitely more than your feelings. 
But because we've been worshiping at those idols I talked about earlier for so long, nobody wants to be just friends. The worst place you can be with somebody who you really like is in their what? They're friend-zoned, man. You don't want to be friend-zoned. I heard this from our single people I talked to. You don't want to be friend-zoned. Like, how do you stay out of the friend-zone? I read this article about friend-zoning. And, and you don't want to be, because once you're in the friend-zone, you're not going to get lucky in the friend-zone. You're not going to strike it, you know, in, in love in the friend-zone. And so you don't want to be in the friend-zone. But listen, I want, to, I want to just say this, and I hope you receive it. If you're single, trust me here. Your very best prospects, your best prospects for marriage are probably friend zone material. Your best prospects for a happy, lifelong, committed marriage are probably the people that you would first put into your friend zone. I was listening to some of the folks, and I don't mean to pick on anybody, and I won't share any names or anything. You'll just, you'll know it when you hear it if it was you, and you'll probably quietly hate me and never talk to me again. But I, I was talking to single people. I was asking them what would cause them to put someone in the friend zone. And it was just interesting to me, somewhat disheartening to me that some of the, some of the women that I talked to, a different age uh, range of women, but some of them said that they've put men in the friend zone because, quote, he was too nice. And I had to ask her if I heard her correctly. He was too nice. And that got him friend zoned. I was, I was blown away. I thought, I thought, guys like this do not exist anymore. Leave this room right now and go lock him down now. And he will make you happy. Marry the nice guy before someone else does. The nice, you can send nice guy to the gym. You can send nice guy back to school. You know what I'm saying? Nice guy. That's the guy you want to marry. It's like we're still thinking in caveman terms, like we need someone to protect our cave. You know, I need some, you know, like I need a strong, square-jawed guy. You know, that we don't live in that world anymore. Marry the nice guy, and he will probably make you happy. Another, another girl said, uh, I couldn't see this guy after he told me he didn't like Harry Potter. I friend zoned him because he didn't like Harry Potter. Okay, maybe, you know, have some mercy on some, maybe he hasn't seen Harry Potter. Maybe he's only seen The Prisoner of Azkaban and none of the other ones. And you don't know, you don't know, but don't friend zone a boy for not liking Harry Potter, you know, and some, one of the other girls said that, uh, that she friend-zoned a guy because in a picture he had hair, he showed up to their first date bald. She said, I was kitten-fished, which is catfishing. Did y'all know this? Catfishing, but they send you an old picture. So they, they're still the same person. They're just an older version of the same person. It's kitten-fishing. Don't say you didn't learn anything tonight. The guys were no less superficial She's got too much baggage, so that gets her friend zone. That usually means she has a child, which uh, is the most cowardly thing a single man can say. And I just want to tell you, if that's where you're at, uh, dig deeper and man up and realize if you're following Jesus, this is an opportunity to be a father or a second father to a child or some children that, that you may have a greater impact on. Yet your, your legacy will outlive you, so just man up. Man up when it comes to things like children. Another guy said, I, I friend zoned a girl for having a lower back tattoo. 
I don't really get that at all. But uh, okay, uh, friend zoned a girl a few extra pounds. And when these conversations were happening, I just kept thinking in the back of my mind, come on. I cannot give you stats on this. I just am speaking from years of anecdotal experience as a husband, as a pastor, as a friend. Many, if not most, of the happiest people I know in this life married people who were not their type. Married someone who was not their physical type. And I don't mean the lucky guy that found the super hot girl that's like three levels above him. I'm talking about people that married someone that might have even physically been like below what they, what they are, what they expected to find or whatever, you know. And, and, and yet they, they got married and they found this happiness. Here's three things I know for sure about dating and marriage and friendship. The first is that almost all single people want marriage. 90 to 95% are dating with the hopes of being married one day. Second, the best marriages I know are basically friends with benefits. Third, we never date, almost never date for friendship. I think we don't do that because we don't know what it means. It's very simple. Let me break it down for you. The next five minutes of this sermon are basically a kindergarten class. So uh, this is remedial dating right here. Listen, dating for friendship means very simply knowing the qualities that make a person a good friend and looking for those qualities first. And knowing the qualities that make someone a bad friend. You've had bad friends? The qualities that make someone a bad friend and watching out for those. This is what it means to, to date for friendship. Now, what makes someone a good friend? What's, what are the traits or qualities? This is everything you needed to know you learned in kindergarten. Here we go. Psychology Today laid out five traits, five top five qualities that make someone a good friend. They're trustworthy. You can tell me anything. They're trustworthy. They encourage you. You can get through this. They encourage you. They're empathetic. I understand. I feel your pain. I'll sit with you, walk with you through this. They're honest. They tell you when you're off track. You're, you're better than that. You, you can do better. They're, they, they're funny. They have a sense of humor. They can laugh at themselves. They tell jokes. They have a good time. You know, and they keep it light sometimes when it needs to be kept light. These are the, the traits of a good friend. And what I want to say is that if you, on the dating scene, meet someone who is maybe a little more curvy than you were looking for, or a little shorter than you imagined, or a little less exciting, less ambitious, less successful, maybe a little less hairy, or <laughs> a little more hairy, I don't know, but they demonstrate any of these five qualities, or all of these five qualities, with consistency, that's the one you pursue. That's the one you go after. That's the one you want to lock down. Look at your neighbor say, lock it down. Just say it right now to your neighbor, lock it down. Come on, I want to hear it. All right, lock it down. All right, good. Now listen, let's flip, that, let's flip that over and let's see the other side of this. What qualities make someone a bad friend? We've all had bad friends. Some of you, I myself have at times in my life been a bad friend. These are the qualities that make someone a bad friend. Opportunism. A bad friend says, I'm with you, but they mean I'm with you until something better comes along. A better opportunity, something more fun, whatever. Narcissism. They say, what have you done for me lately? What are you doing for me? How do you make me look good? Apathy. When you're hurting, they say, whatever. I don't care, or they act like they don't care. Manipulation. 
they say things that twist the truth and make you feel like you're crazy. I said I'd be home at 5. I didn't say 5 p.m. You know, those kinds of things that make you feel like you're losing your mind. Those kinds of manipulative tactics. They're full of excuses. They say what had happened was a lot. You'll find them saying that a lot. What had happened was excuse after excuse after excuse. Now, if on the dating scene you meet someone who is a perfect 10, a knockout, if they look like your dream, they've got the smile, the eyes, the body, and you can't wait to show their face off on Instagram and make all your friends extremely jealous, but they consistently demonstrate any or all of these traits. Run, run, run. Look at your neighbor say, run! Go ahead, look at your neighbor, look at your neighbor. Run! All right, so you get it, so you're ready. When it happens, just so you're ready, here's why. Here's why all this is true. Chemistry, romance can always grow out of friendship. But it cannot survive the lack of friendship. Chemistry can always grow out of friendship. Where there was no chemistry, chemistry can grow out of friendship. But chemistry, even powerful chemistry in the beginning, cannot survive over time the lack of friendship. Chemistry requires, romance requires friendship in order to live. Now, here's what happens. A lot of people marry for chemistry primarily. A lot of people get married. They lock it down with the person who, uh, when their skin touches, it's like electricity. It's powerful stuff. There's pheromones going back and forth. And when they walk in the room, it's like, whoa, what just happened? And, and you've got these feelings in your stomach. And everybody kind of is looking for that. And we think that's what it means uh, to find the one, right? But people who marry for that and the first years together, everything's like smoking hot and it's awesome and it's great. Over time, that fire goes out because there's nothing fueling it other than just biology, and that gets old. It's the law of diminishing returns. That will not satisfy you for very long. And so there's always trouble, crisis. They end up in my office talking to Geo or whatever. And um, oftentimes they've tried to fill what they used to have um, in other ways because it's not there in their marriage anymore. But on the other side of that, there are all of these couples we know who in their dating life, back burnered all of the superficial stuff and look for the stuff we're talking about. And they married their best friend. Now, when they got married, when they walk into a room, people might look at them and go, huh, that's an interesting match. Like, they don't quite match up. Like, she's way hotter than him. Like, what are they doing together? Or like, I bet he has money. Like, all this other stuff. But they just married their best friend is what they did. And even if they didn't have chemistry at first, chemistry takes some time to grow. And I had this one friend tell me, uh, you know, uh, when a couple meets their first year together, they have more intimacy, more uh, intercourse in their first year together than they do the next five years combined, which might be true for chemistry couple. But the opposite can be true for best friends. In the beginning, that might not be what they're about, but over time, as their appreciation grows for each other, as they grow in grace together, they want to make each other happier in that way. It's a very mutual, beautiful thing. It's the way God intended it to be, and it just grows and gets more and more profound and white hot because friendship fuels romance. Now, last Sunday, I told you God's a romantic. 
a hopeless romantic. That's why you are a, rom a romantic person, because you're created in the image of a romantic God. It's not because of your, your biology only. It's because you were created in the image of a God who desires lifelong covenant, intimate relationship. That's why you want it so bad. He made you that way, because he is that way. And his romantic sign is all over the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. Like in the prophet Isaiah uh, in 62 verse 5, it says, As a young man marries a young woman, God will marry you. As a groom rejoices over his bride, so God rejoices over you or delights in you. Which is a little bit of a weird concept that God would marry people. But in the New Testament, it starts to be cleared up a little bit because Jesus comes to the earth to do something. What does he come to do Well, if you follow the New Testament narrative, you see that Jesus comes to basically make a proposal. He proposes to us. He gets on his knees and he proposes to the church. The New Testament talks about Jesus as the bridegroom and the church as the bride of Christ. And there is a marriage that has been proposed. And the purpose of it, the trajectory of it, is the marriage altar. The great hereafter, the great beyond, the, 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 the last day when Jesus comes again. What we talk about is that being a marriage feast, a wedding feast, when the marriage is complete. That's why we're called the body of Christ. Because we're becoming one with Christ. We're becoming united. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 19 about a man leaving his parents to be joined to his wife and become one flesh. But Paul takes it one step further in Ephesians 5. And this is what he talks about. He says, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. And then he quotes Jesus, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. We are joined together with him, the bridegroom. We are together his bride. So we're moving toward marriage with Christ. That's the trajectory of the gospel. Just like most people on the dating scene hope to be moving toward marriage in their own lives. There's a reason you are the way you are. There's a reason you crave marriage. It's because you were created in the image of Christ. Now here's the difference between us and Jesus. Here's, uh, here's one of the differences between us and Jesus. There's a few. There's a few. This is, in terms of what I'm talking about today, the difference between us and Jesus. We want marriage, and we start our search for the one. We start it with attraction. And Jesus wants marriage with us. But he started his search. He came and found us, not by attraction, thank God, or none of us would be here. He found us with friendship. In John 15, he tells his ragtag bunch of nobodies that followed him around, he said, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you my friends because servants don't know what their master is doing. But you guys know what I'm doing. I know you and you know me and we're going to be together for eternity and, and you're my friends, he says. He starts with friendship and he does three things during his life on earth to really mark his friendship, to, to um, uh, put forth a friendship with the people. This is what he does, and this is important. This is what friends do. And Jesus models it for us. First thing he does is he encourages people. Jesus encouraged his friends. He saw things in them that no one else did. Have you ever had a friend like this? Who saw some potential in you or told you encouraging things that no one else had told you? In his most 
important sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is preaching, and, and halfway through this sermon, he just mysteriously stops on the line that he was on, and, and he looks at the people in front of him, and he stops, and he says to these people, he looks up, and he sees them, and these people are just peasants. Every day, uh, actually, you know, below the poverty line, these are people just getting by, dirty, smelly, unsuccessful fishermen. These are non-citizens. These are migrant worker, day laborer types. These are orphans. These are widows. These are prostitutes. And he looks out at those people, and he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And Jesus says, let your light shine. And I like to picture the widows and prostitutes and orphans, like when he says it, like looking behind them to see who he's talking to, like me? You mean, you mean me? Like just this paradigm shifting moment where the Son of God tells them they matter. They're worth something. That they're the reason he came to the earth. And, and that they are the light of the world. It's really, it's really quite profound, but that's what Jesus did. He encouraged people, and that's what friends do. Second, he expected great things from people. He expects great things of us. And that kind of sounds the same as encouragement, but this has a, this really is marked by accountability. So when you miss the mark, he's expecting better from you. Friends expect progress. Friends expect uh, a forward movement. Friends expect development, right, and growth. And in John 14, 12 to 14, Jesus says to his disciples, I know that y'all think I've done great things. Y'all are going to do even greater things. And Jesus has set a pretty high bar for doing awesome things. And he tells his disciples, y'all are going to do more awesome things than I've done. And then he leaves and his disciples do even more awesome things. His disciples start a movement. That ragtag bunch of nobody started the movement. They're the reason we're here. Today. And so he expected great things of them and they rose to the occasion. Third, Jesus laid down his life for us. He saw your baggage and he chose, instead of criticizing you for it, he carried it for you. He sees your past and he carries it for you. He sees your shame and he carries it for you. He carried it for you in the form of the cross, taking every negative thing from your past, all your guilt, all your pain, and carrying it for you. Laying down his life for you. That is the true mark of friendship. Now, that's what friendship looks like, the kind of friendship that leads to romance. So, all of this comes back around to dating in my mind because this is the kind of romance we are all hoping to find, whether you're single or married. This kind of romance. So when you're looking for this kind of romance, I urge you to start not with attraction, but with friendship. And if you're single... Start looking for friendship. If you're married, hoping to rekindle that flame that was gone, don't start it at Victoria's Secret. Don't start it at the gym. Don't start it at Adam and Eve. Like, start with your friendship. I'm telling you, this yields the best results. And let me tell you what friendship in marriage looks like. Friendship in marriage simply means choosing every day to be friends instead of adversaries. Choosing to be in each other's corner. Because when you're married, life presents you with all sorts of opportunities to turn on each other. And you know that old statement, familiarity breeds contempt? 
that can get very real in a marriage. And you get very familiar with each other's vices and uh, the, the things that drive you crazy about the other person. And if I pick up one more sock off the floor, I am just leaving. I'm leaving. And you don't, you don't give each other the benefit of the doubt anymore. Friendship means giving each other the benefit of the doubt, choosing to believe the best about the person you're married to. If there's another sock on the floor, well, he must have dropped it on his way to the laundry room. Like that kind of thing, you know, and you choose you choose to believe the best about the other person in spite of all the cynical thoughts that try to creep in because you're choosing to be friends instead of adversaries. And so to the wives in the room, I'll just say this. You know, uh, you, have to watch, you have to watch the tendency to, to just roll your eyes and, and, and be cynical toward your husbands because marriage will present you with many opportunities to roll your eyes and be cynical. You know, he wants to buy that that hunting rifle, and he's got 10 already. And you're thinking, am I married to a 12-year-old? Like, uh, all these thoughts, critical, cynical thoughts. Now, if your husband has a problem and he's bankrupting you, like, come talk to me or or Dave Ramsey or whoever you need to talk to and work that out. But listen, if it's just because he loves it and it makes him happy, then it should make you happy to see him happy. You see what I'm saying? Don't let resentment creep in and steal that joy from your marriage. Be friends instead of adversaries. Delight in the things that he delights in, or at least delight in seeing him delighted. That's friendship and marriage. It's a choice. It doesn't, it's not a feeling. Believe me, it's not a feeling. It's a choice. Husbands, I'll, I'll say something similar to you. You know, tomorrow if she comes home from work and she's gotten another speeding ticket, another speeding ticket on the way home from work. Listen, guys, it wasn't her driving. Just listen to me. It might have been. But it wasn't her driving. It was those dang motorcycle cops, and they're so deceptive, and you can never see them anywhere, and they probably work on commission, those jerks. Give me that ticket, honey. I'll take care of, of it for you. You know, those kinds of things, and that goes a long way because nothing in this world is sexier than having somebody who's in your corner. Without a doubt, unconditionally, in your corner because we all have days when we need somebody who's in our corner. Life is hard. We don't need the person closest to us pitting themselves against us, choosing to be resentful instead of being a friend. I know it ain't easy and sometimes your tank is empty, but listen, make that choice and romance grows. Chemistry grows on the foundation of friendship that you lay. I mean, some of the things we look for might be cute, but encouragement is way sexier. Seeing someone's potential, them seeing your potential, way hotter. If you really want to excite a woman, guys, lay down your life for her. I don't, I don't mean you have to, like, die. I mean, you, could, I mean, you can, but you won't reap the benefits for a while. But what that means is just your priorities. Like, do stuff that she likes to do and be happy about it. Be proud to have her on your arm, even if it's while you're walking around anthropology. Don't just sit on the couch with your phone on your, the couch in anthropology. You know they have the guy couch? That's the deadbeat husband couch. Don't sit there. Walk around with your wife, unless she doesn't want you there, and that's my case sometimes. You ever see me on the couch? My wife told me to be there. It's the most romantic thing I can do. Give her a little space. Give her a little space. But listen, be together, you know? Bend your will to hers. You know, enjoy and delight in her and in the things that she loves to do. Like the next guy I'm as drawn to physical beauty as anybody. I, I am a, I'm, a, I'm a preacher, but I'm, I'm a guy. And so I get, I get why we search for the things that we do. I get why we're so drawn to attraction. But my experience, my life, my ministry has all given me this insane ability. It's insane ability 
to see the future. I can see the future with an eerie clarity. I'm never wrong about the future in terms of what people are going to look like a few years from now. For instance, I can tell you with zero problem, with zero inaccuracy, I can tell you exactly what the hottest person you've ever dated, whoever wanted to date, will look like a few years from now. Ladies, this is the hottest guy you've ever dated. Right here. This is what he's going to look like just a few years from now. Guys, that girl at the gym with the body, the body that just don't quit, this is her. In just a few years from now, insane accuracy. I'm sad to say that this is uh, Channing Tatum just a few years um, from now. This is, uh, next one is my personal crush, uh, my weakness is Zoe Saldana. Just a few years from now. And finally, poor Anne Hathaway, a few years from now, still cast as a nerd, even in death. Just a few years from now, we're all going to look the same. Just a few years from now, all the vanity and all the stuff, all the attraction, it will matter less and less. That's why when dating, you should think about friendship first. And don't just think about who could be a good friend to you. That's pretty narcissistic. That makes you a bad friend if you're just thinking about who could meet my needs. Think about what kind of friend you are. Ask yourself, am I a good friend? Do the people closest to me think, look at me and and know that I'm dependable, that I'm trustworthy? I'm a person of my word. Am I a good friend? Am I empathetic? Do I encourage people? Or, you know, am I opportunistic? Am I I self-centered? And then I'm going to ask you to think about the people you've typically been drawn toward, your type. Who were you drawn to and why? What is it about that type that you've been drawn toward? Is it something superficial? Is it looks or money? Or is it something deeper, something like friendship potential? Because you were created with these romantic desires as children of God, a God who's a hopeless romantic. And God doesn't come looking for attraction. He doesn't look at us superficially. Lord knows he could have, and he could have picked us apart. For every bit of baggage that we bring, he could have picked us apart, and we would never have been up to his standards. We never would have been on his level or deserved this marriage with him as his church. But he looked beyond all of that. He looked beyond our past, our mistakes, our flaws, our extra baggage, our extra pounds. He looked at us and said, let's be friends. I'll be in your corner. I'll be here. I've got your back. I don't care about your past. I just want to love you. I want to be in love with you. I want to be loved by you. I want to see you change and grow over the years, and I'll be here to see that. And then out of that friendship that he proposed, romance grew. The romance of Christ and his church, and I believe that is the best hope any of us have for dating and for marriage. It's two people who say simultaneously to each other, I choose to see the best in you. You have no idea all that you're capable of. You're amazing, and I'll lay down my life for you. Guys, let's be friends may be a terrible way to end a romance, but it's a great way to start one. Because real, uh, real friendship is, is never just a consolation prize. Friendship, properly understood, is the gospel. It's the gospel in real life. It is everything we can stop looking for our trophies and our hotties and someone to show off on our social media feeds and we can set our sights on friendship. Just like Jesus 
did for us. That is the story of our lives. And we get to share it with someone else if we know what to look for. We can't close this without just offering this last word to anyone who's pretty new to church or maybe you've been in church a while and it's mostly just gone in one ear and out the other and you're not really sure what a preacher means when he says Jesus wants to be your friend. It kind of creeps you out a little bit. Um, I understand. But you also know there's an emptiness. You know what you've tried ain't working. You know that you're missing something and you want to make your life about something else other than just yourself and your feelings and your desires. If you're curious, you want to know more about what it means to be a friend of Christ, I encourage you to come and see me after the service today. Come and see me or Pastor Gio or anybody that you know to be a leader around here and just start the conversation and just say, I don't know what's going on with me, but there's something. Can we talk? Can we have coffee? And we'll pray together and we'll figure it out. Jesus didn't just come to be your friend. He came to surround you with a whole bunch of friends to walk with you on this journey. Let's go to him in prayer.